This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're talking about how to find and talk to your care provider in episode number 180. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, ladies. It is Kristen, and today we are going to talk about finding a care provider. The working title of this episode was How to Find a Care Provider Who Doesn't Tell You What to Do. One of the things that I have emphasized a lot in the podcasts over the past year or so is thinking about your sovereignty in your experience. And that doesn't mean that you don't consult with a professional. It doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, you go without a doctor or a midwife. That's none of that. It's it's that you are the one who ultimately makes the decision and the choices. Uh, one of my kids got a special needs diagnosis this past spring. And one of the things that I really, really, really appreciated about the, the doctor who did all of the testing and evaluation and everything was she was very much about this is something that's going to impact this child and that you need to take into consideration and you want to make choices and here are my recommendations for how you can help this child but she very much respected me as a parent and the choices that are that were what I wanted to make and also the choices that were going to fit with the reality of our life, which is a busy life without a whole lot of backup for me uh, as a single parent. So I really appreciated that. I appreciated that she said, these are the things that are going on with this child and these are my recommendations and these are how I feel like they can fit in your life and ultimately you know, you weigh the pros and cons and you make the right choice for you. And I really appreciate that I have that relationship with my family doctor as well when I'm making choices for my kids' health or even for my own health. And as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I had health challenges last fall and I felt like with some of those I was really respected and with some of those situations I wasn't and it was it was difficult. So it's got me really thinking about dialoguing with care providers, and especially a care provider who's not going to tell you what to do. Ultimately, what you want is for the care provider to give you complete and full information, including their professional opinion on your situation. And of course, they can make recommendations that are along their standard protocol. But ultimately, they respect that you get to make the decisions. And one of the things about that, and and this is this can be a little bit difficult for me because I'm really an analytical, logical person most of the time. I realize I do make some decisions out of emotions, but I'm a logical and analytical person most of the time. I analyze things to death. I was listening to an audiobook yesterday while I was driving where they were talking about the, um, the subject of the book, Reginald Lewis, the late Reginald Lewis, talking about how he had trouble making business decisions because he really analyzed everything. And I was like, amen, that is me. I'm so glad to hear that, you know, this super, super, super successful person, you know, he struggled with that as well. <laughs> so that gives me hope for me. So I really analyze things and look at things from a logical point of view. But what I'm, where I'm going with this is that, Ultimately, if you make a decision for care or if, you know, a given person makes a decision for her care that is completely illogical, that's still her right. Okay, so I can say this is something for me. I can say that I recommend that you follow the Brewer diet during your pregnancy because it literally has decades of success stories to support it. 
It's backed by evidence. It was backed by evidence when Dr. Brewer developed it decades ago. It's backed by up-and-coming evidence now. If you want a more updated, refreshed take on it, especially work that takes into consideration blood sugar and insulin resistance, I recommend Lily Nichols' work, for sure. But I recommend the Brewer diet. And to me, it would be illogical to choose to do anything else in pregnancy when it comes to your pregnancy diet because... It works. It has great outcomes. It creates healthy babies. So why wouldn't you do it? But believing in sovereignty during pregnancy means that I would give you this advice and be okay with you saying, yeah, no, that doesn't resonate with me, Kristen. I'm going to do something different. Or for example, I feel like uh, a vegetarian diet during pregnancy can be healthy if, if challenging. I truly believe that animal products give us vital nutrients that are crucial, especially to children's brain development and pregnancy, and that it's not the best choice to have a vegan pregnancy. But I honor you if you make the choice to have a vegan pregnancy. I might dialogue with you a little bit about that, talk about, say, Lily Nichols' research or Shazzy's research that she did. She's a, a raw foods vegan mama, and the choices that she made during her pregnancy that I think are, are illuminating and helpful. But I also still respect your decision, or your right to make that decision. So all of this is a bit of a rabbit trail, and I'll try and, and not be on that rabbit trail too much. But what I'm saying is that it doesn't mean that you forego professional opinion, but it does mean that ultimately you get to make the decision. And not only do you have the decision, or do you have the ability to make a decision that seems logical, like sometimes you'll make a decision that's contrary to what your provider recommends, but it's the logical decision. For example, you get diagnosed with gestational diabetes and he hands you a sheet that's just gonna make things get worse, like a printed diet uh, handout that's gonna make things get worse. And you say, no, I'm gonna go get Lily Nichols' book and follow her gestational diabetes protocol then you're making the logical decision to go outside of his recommendations. But what I'm saying is even if you make an illogical decision, that's still your right. Basically, what I want to tell you is that you get to make those decisions. Now, decisions do have consequences. So you have to realize that, for example, if you get a gestational diabetes diagnosis and you're like, no, I'm going to eat McDonald's and Twinkies because that's really what feels good to me and that's what I want. And you might end up with some complications because of that. So, of course, you're always going to consider outcomes and consequences, good and bad. Consequences are not inherently bad. They're just, they're neutral. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are kind of neutral. So... But you still have the right to make those decisions. I think you should make those decisions looking towards the consequences. So with that, that was a bit of a tangent. And I don't know why I feel like sometimes I still have to qualify these things. But I do. I think it's because I'm talking about something that is, uh, you know, in some ways so radical still to believe in a woman's sovereignty during pregnancy and birth that some people misunderstand it for just an outright rejection. And that's not it. I have great respect for science and research, for medical practitioners, even for obstetrics. Um, and there's some places where I think it falls short. And the same for midwives. So uh, I think that we need to have a balanced perspective. So it's not 
an, it's not a wholesale rejection of that simply to be rejected. I was talking to my, my 13 year old today about the folly of, or actually it wasn't even my 13 year old, it was my nine year old. I think I've had conversations with both of them, but the folly of just saying, I'm not going to do that simply because it's a rule. <laughs> you know, we don't rebel just for the sake of rebellion. We sit there and think, hmm, maybe it does actually make more sense for me to, to follow this rule that mama set for the house, which in this case was we clean up immediately after a meal rather than letting icky dishes sit around. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not an outright rebellion for its own sake, um, but it's also not just following whatever the provider says simply because that's what you do. Again, if that's the choice that you make, that's okay. But I think most women want to approach pregnancy and birth more consciously and deliberately. And even if you do end up following most of your care provider's recommendations, you want to be able to put the thought into that, or maybe you want to see the evidence behind that. I feel like a lot of the women who come to me, who work one-on-one with me, ultimately, they resonate with my recommendations and they follow a lot of them. But one of the things that they appreciate is I tell them how I arrived at this conclusion. This is the research that I've followed, the teachers that, you know, my midwifery school professors and that sort of thing that I followed, and this is why. And it does save some decision fatigue and some research fatigue when you have mentors to lean on. So we're not going to reject them outright, but ultimately we're going to say that the decision is ours. And like I said, I think it's so radical to take that point of view that I feel the need to qualify it in its totality, that it, it, it does mean that you could make a decision that seems completely illogical to another human being, and also that it's not just rebellion for rebellion's sake. It's really just being balanced and making the decision that resonates with you based on the information that you have and the people that you trust in your life. So with that, let's, you know, let's talk about finding a care provider who doesn't tell you what to do, but rather looks at this relationship with you, looks at your care during pregnancy, or this could apply to a pediatrician or to a family doctor or anybody that you are working with, with your family for healthcare reasons, a chiropractor, a, you know, functional medicine practitioner, whatever. So you want somebody who doesn't necessarily tell you what to do, but who isn't afraid to make recommendations. So I was working with a professional, not a medical professional, but a professional in another area. And she could tell that I was struggling with making a decision. And she said, you know, I'm going to make a decision and make a recommendation right now. And the recommendation that, and I didn't, and she, she was asking for my permission to do that. And I said, yes, because I was struggling with its emotional decision. I was struggling with, you know, decision fatigue and just kind of about to be stuck. And so she gave her recommendation and she did it in a way that was, first of all, it was super respectful of her to ask me that. I promise you guys, if you can hear my kids in the background, that they're okay. That is a total run of the mill. I'm upset at something that happened with a sibling kind of cry. Anyways, so she, she stepped, she gave a recommendation and a forceful recommendation. Like, I think we should do it this way. And... Then she stepped back and gave me the space, um, gave me the space to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. Okay, so before we get caught too much up in too many other tangents, I, I want to impress upon you just how important pregnancy and birth are. So the decisions that you make in pregnancy and birth are vital for your health and for your baby's health. And they're also vital because the way that you feel like you're treated 
in this time and in this situation and the and the way that you feel like your voice is conveyed and heard are really important to you as you go forward in your life. This is a major transition, a rite of passage. I've talked about that in a previous podcast episode. And really and truly, you deserve to be honored during this time. And if you're not honored during this time, you you often feel that, even subconsciously. There's like a feeling that I didn't matter as much or I wasn't respected or they, this, I hear this language all the time in working with women. They decided to do this. They took the baby. They did this. They did that. They, they, they. And it's, the important thing about that is that somebody outside of you. So I want you to realize that this is a very, very important time on every level of your being, physical decisions that you will make that will impact you physically and your body physically and your baby physically. And then also things that will impact you mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Really, really, really important. So this is an important time. It's worth taking the time to find somebody who is respectful of you because it has such an impact. And I know for some women, they think about the goal is that baby and this is just something that we get through and and maybe we'll be able to brush past it. But I also get a lot of moms who come to me and say, you know what, Kristen, I I just didn't realize how much this was going to continue to get to me or how much I want things to be different. Or even I have moms come to me after three or four babies who are like, you know what, I did the standard routine with, with all of those babies and I just don't want to do it again. Because they start to realize that there's there's something missing there. And I think what's missing is that respect for your voice, for your power, for your sovereignty, for your autonomy, for you being an adult who gets to make decisions about your body and what you want and what you don't want. So this is a vitally important experience because it's such a defining time in a woman's life that it's... It's really important that you be respected. And I can end up going down a million other rabbit trails right now about the importance of it, but I will try and stop so that we can get to the practical tips here in a second. Now, one more thing before we jump into those practical tips, and I hinted at it a moment ago, is where would you rate your voice? How do you rate your voice? And when I say that, I'm not talking about, okay, I I think that I have too high of a voice or too low of a voice. And nor am I talking about the the character that you convey. Like when I talk to you, I have a particular voice, which is the voice of a teacher, because that's what I love doing. I love teaching about pregnancy and birth. So I sound more like a teacher than maybe like a best friend who's just been through it and wants to give you some tips, right? So sometimes we think about voice in that way. So Kristen's voice on this podcast is more of an experienced mom who's a teacher than just a best friend who's like, oh girl, let me give you some tips that will help you. That's not what we're talking about either. When I say voice, I'm talking about your strength, your assertiveness, your ability to speak up for yourself. And that might be the best way to say it. How would you rate your ability to stick up for yourself? How would you, this is a, this is a phrase and I try not to use too many of these because I know they don't they don't mean the same thing to everybody or especially if it's not common in your country to use it. But a phrase that we might use here in the United States is stick to your guns, which means, you know, you're going to make a decision and you're going to stick with that decision. 
Um, you know, you're going to dig your heels in is another. There's a lot of little phrases that mean that. And I'm sure regionally there are all kinds of things. But basically it means your ability to be stubborn and say, this is a decision that I've made. This is important to me and, and I'm going for it. It doesn't necessarily mean, again, stubborn beyond reason. For example, you might realize I'm really committed to a particular kind of birth, but then something happens and I realize that the right option for mom and baby is to do something different than that. You might realize and change your mind, but what it means is that you're not just going to change on a whim or you're not going to change because of pressure. For example, the doctor unbeknownst to you, but the doctor has a golf game that he wants to go play this afternoon. <coughs> so your labor is kind of puttering around and he's like at seven in the morning. Uh, you know, let's just give you a little Pitocin to get things moving along a little faster. But you realize that you feel good, you're coping with things well, things are progressing, and you don't want any of that. So you would stick to your guns. You would say, no, no, thank you. I don't want any Pitocin. Things are progressing. I'm okay with the next doctor coming on call if you've got to go and the baby isn't here. You know, so that that's what I'm talking about is you're going to stick to your guns even though there is pressure from the outside not to. So how do you feel that you, you know, how would you rate your confidence, your ability to stick up for yourself and your ability to stick with something that you believe is right for yourself? Because those are qualities that are important to have during pregnancy and birth and motherhood because you're going to have to fight for your children on many levels. Like if you have a special needs child, you've got to be willing to advocate for them. If you have a child who has anything going on, you may need to advocate for them. There are many, many times when you have to advocate for your children. And so this is good practice for that or advocate for your family. Um, just a lot of different situations that come up in life. So this is good practice. And the nice thing about choosing a care provider and starting to dialogue with a care provider is you get to practice that as you go along because you get nine months of pregnancy. Now you won't, you'll see your care provider really only a handful of times, uh, probably 17, 20 appointments or so across the course of your pregnancy. But that's still a lot of time to practice with them and to feel more and more confident in dialoguing. So let's talk about some practical tips for searching for a care provider. So first, how do you find a care provider? I think a good thing to do, just a general thing to do to start your search can be to go to the internet and look for care providers in my area. So <clears throat> obstetricians in, you know, Texas. You want to be more granular than that. So obstetricians in Houston, Texas. Or midwife in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you know, that would be something that you would start to look for. Or if you're in a smaller area, you might look in the region. So for me, midwife in northern Michigan might be something that I would look at, though I would probably choose a city name too. If you're in a really rural community like me, you might choose the closest larger city to do your search for. So that can give you an idea of what are the names of the people out there. And then you can go start looking into them. Now, an important part of this is to, is to make some considerations about what do you want. If you want a home birth, you're going to look for home birth midwives in Denver, Colorado. 
If you know that you want to have a birth center birth, you're going to look for birth centers in Arbor, Michigan. If you know that you want to have a hospital birth, you first you may need to find out if your local hospital does births because some smaller local hospitals don't and figure that out. And also, depending on the country that you're in, um, it, it may be different. Like if you're in Canada or the UK, then you may need to make sure that you get in a request for a midwife kind of applying for a home birth midwife, for example, if you want to have your baby at home. But those will be initial things to consider because thinking about where do I want to have my baby is going to influence who are my care provider options. And then, of course, if you want to have an unassisted pregnancy and birth, you're not going to be looking for a care provider. And I think that's valid as well. But this episode is focused on looking for a care provider. But yeah, think about that choice. And you could change your mind later. You could, for example, establish care with the OB's office in your closest city with an OB. uh, And then say, I really have started leaning towards a home birth in your own mind and start looking at midwives. But I think it's beneficial to start looking right now. And you may also, this may open the door for you to start to look at some things like what are women's experiences with home birth? What are experiences with natural birth in the hospital? What challenges do moms have? What happens if something, if there's a complication? Those are common things for women to worry about. So those would be things that you would think about as you start to make the choice. And remember, you can change care providers later on. You don't have to absolutely get it right the first time, but these will make it more likely that you find a good fit the first time. So you've you've made some considerations and you've found some names that seem to fit with your consideration. Now you've got your names and it's good to go and search for those providers' names, especially if you know that there are local forums. If you're in a larger metro area, there may be forums for your metro area or Facebook groups for your metro area, like for moms, where you can either go search that care provider's name and read uh, threads and comments about them, or you could even ask directly, hey, did anybody use Dr. Bump? And see what did people think about him. And read reviews online through the lens of what was this person expecting So if somebody went into pregnancy and she knew, I want the epidural the minute I walk through the hospital door, I just want to do what the doctor says and I don't want to feel anything. And they're like, oh, I loved Dr. Bump. He let me get my epidural the moment I walked through the hospital door. Um, You know, and you want a natural birth. That review, I won't say that review is invalid. And that review may not even give you much information about Dr. Bump in your situation. So what you can probably conclude from that review is it doesn't give you a lot of relevant information and move on. Now, if you read an interview that was like, Dr. Bump was wonderful, the girl next door, she wanted an epidural right away and he was, you know, right there with her. But I told him, look, I don't want an epidural. I told you this. And he was like, girl, I know you've got this. I'm going to go help the woman next door and you just have your baby and call me when you're ready. Then you might realize, okay, well, Dr. Bump is cool. He's really flexible. He's a good OB. Or it could be, you know, that you read a review where a mom says, I wanted to have a natural birth and this doctor or midwife really seemed to get in my way or I didn't feel comfortable with them or they made recommendations for things they knew I didn't want that would give you some caution. So read your reviews in context. The context being, what does that mom seem to have wanted? And if you read reviews that 
come across like, oh, you know, so-and-so saved me and the baby, those reviews could be vital, but they could also be taken with a grain of salt simply because a lot of times we have situations where it seems like a care provider rides in and saves the day, but the reality is, is the complication may have been caused by interventions and the complication wouldn't have occurred without interventions. For example, we know that inducing labor causes contractions that are longer and stronger and more relentless than normal contractions, which can end up causing fetal distress and can lead down that slippery slope of a lot of interventions that wouldn't have been needed if you hadn't started with an intervention. So again, I think reading, just like when you read product reviews, reading reviews of care providers online and reading women's experiences can be really helpful as long as you uh, have context with them. And some care providers, especially midwives, may have testimonials on their site. And again, you can read those knowing that, A, if they provided a testimonial for the midwife, it means they were really pleased, but probably you're getting only the people who were really pleased. You may not be hearing from other people, but read the context of the reviews and what they're saying that they liked and appreciated about the midwife or the doctor and how that fits with what you're wanting. So those can be good steps. Like, first of all, figure out who's in the area and and fits with what you want for your birth and then read those recommendations. Then the next thing to do is to narrow it down to care providers. And I know that some of you may be more limited and, you know, you're like, oh, I've got one OB practice, right? And the doctors are on a call schedule and they just rotate. So I don't know who I'm going to get. But you might try and ask for an interview with the doctor or the midwife who resonates most with you when you've read about them. And sometimes all you may be able to find is a description of the care provider on their, uh, on their website. And if that's the case, you can again realize that this is essentially written as a public relations piece and to be all rosy. But you could get a feel, does this person seem like a good fit? Sometimes it will be, sometimes it won't. When I was looking for a new counselor... Oh, well over a year ago, but I read a description for a counselor and she looked like a great fit. And I did an interview with her. And after the interview, I was like, no way, absolutely not. And the funny thing is, is conversely, I did an interview with another counselor. And at first, before I went into the interview, I was thinking, I don't know, you know, if he'll be the right fit for me. And when I talked to him, I knew after I was like, he's the right fit. So keep an open mind. But do look at what resonates with you. And another thing is to get recommendations. So the counselor that I ultimately picked, again, talking about a counselor and not about a pregnancy care provider, but the counselor that I ultimately picked had been recommended to me by another provider who I really trusted. And it ended up that that recommendation was a good one. So that's another thing that you can remember is get recommendations. So especially once you've figured out who's in the area, if you know people who have had Uh, a pregnancy and birth recently, you can ask them, who would you recommend in this area? And you will probably get some of these names that you already recognize. And again, take their recommendations and context for what they wanted with their pregnancies and births. But that can really help you as well to find somebody or maybe to find somebody that you didn't initially consider to be a good fit. 
So the next thing, again, is then to ask for an interview, just like I talked about. I interviewed a couple different counselors and looking for somebody. You don't necessarily have to go with the first person. And you might say, oh, there's only one practice in my area, Kristen. And I realize that can be really limiting. And that is a situation probably for another podcast episode. Though keep listening as we talk about talking with your care provider. But yeah, so ask for that interview. And in the interview, now I'm going to put in the show notes, I've got a list of interview questions for both a doctor, like an obstetrician and a midwife. And I will put those in the links to those. And those are good questions to ask. I would also encourage you to ask open-ended questions that don't require stock answers. So you may, uh, like a key question to ask if you are hoping for a VBAC would be, will you assist with a VBAC? And you may get a hard yes or a hard no. But let's say you just get kind of a, yeah, I I assist for a VBAC. So you may want to ask then, you may want to say, okay, what would you do if a mom who was planning a VBAC got to 40 weeks? What What is your standard protocol there? Or you might ask, what would you do if a VBAC mom got to 41 weeks? So that's causing the care provider to stop and to go through and relate to you what their protocol would be. So any situation that's on your mind that you think could come up particularly for you, would be a good open-ended question to ask. Uh, some moms are worried about, you know, if, if my waters have broken and they've been broken for a while without contractions, what do you do? If a mom seems to be bleeding a lot after birth, what do you do? And these questions are questions that, that cause the, the provider to stop and think and answer maybe outside of their stock or polished answers and can help you get a feel for what they might actually do. Um, So good questions to ask are questions about what if I go past my due date? And, you know, what if I'm in labor for a long time and things don't seem to be progressing? What would you do? That gives you an idea of how the care provider's mind works and if it resonates with you. Like if they're they're saying something about for a longer labor, we're going to assess what the baby's position is. We're going to make sure that you're eating and drinking well. We're going to get up and get you moving around. That is a very different answer than, oh, well, at that point, I would recommend Pitocin and blah, 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 blah. So it gives you an idea of where that care provider is coming from. And those can be good things to ask. So don't just ask about statistics and don't just ask quick yes or no questions. You want to really get a feel for the provider. And also you can ask questions about the practice if they're in a practice with others. So, you know, how do you decide who comes to my birth? Those can be things that are helpful for you to understand. Now, in the last few minutes of the podcast, let's talk a bit about how do you talk to your care provider. I recommend that you talk to your care provider early and often. Ask questions. You'll hear me say this a lot. Ask questions of your care provider. Even if you've decided that you're already going to accept a procedure or that you're totally okay with it or that you don't have an opinion one way or the other, ask questions about it. So for example, many of the women that I work with don't want to have a lot of ultrasounds, but they do want to have that 18-week ultrasound. So that that would be like the mid-pregnancy anatomy scan. You would, you you might ask, okay, the doctor might say, for example, at your 12-week appointment, we're going to schedule the anatomy scan. And you might ask, oh, what, you know, why do we do that? What, what's going on with that? 
anytime they make a recommendation for a prenatal test or say, okay, at your next appointment, we're going to do XYZ prenatal test, you can ask or you can even say what prenatal tests are recommended at the next appointment and why would we do those? Why would I have those done? Why do, why do we do those? You don't have to ask in a way that's hostile. I actually recommend curiosity because when you're genuinely curious and earnest, it 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 breaks down walls that might be there, defense mechanisms that might go up, like, oh, you know, she's just questioning me at every turn. It may be that she's genuinely curious. She's really interested. And if you are that curious and you have a provider who's getting, you know, huffy and impatient with you, that might be a warning flag right there. But the the real reason for asking all these questions isn't necessarily to ferret out red flags, though it definitely does that very well. It's to help your to help your care provider get used to the fact that you ask questions and that you're really conscious and intentional about the decisions that you make and that you want information. But it it also helps you get stronger and stronger in asserting yourself and asking questions and making your opinion known and letting you believe that you are an equal partner. In fact, if anything, the relationship isn't equal. It's unequal because you are the one who holds the power. They're the advisor, and they're not the advisor in a school teacher sense where they get to teach you and tell you what to do. They're the advisor more in, really, I guess, more in, in a parent sense when we think about parenting like young adult children, where you're an advisor, but you can't control what they do. They're going to make their own decisions whether you think that they're right or wrong. Ultimately, you don't have that control anymore. It's much more like that. It's much more of a mentor relationship. Like your mentor, if you're mentored in business or in something else, your mentor can tell you, I think you need to do this. But you don't necessarily have to do it. You ultimately have the power to take their advice or to discard their advice. So there is a power imbalance in the relationship and the power is skewed towards you. And asking questions and being curious and making decisions throughout pregnancy helps you to practice stepping into that role. And again, it helps your care provider realize that you are really conscious and intentional and also that you feel confident making decisions and that you ultimately are the one making the decision. You're consulting with them and you value their professional expertise, but you're ultimately the one who makes the decisions. And that really helps. It also really helps, especially for birth things, when you start thinking through these things. This is why when moms ask me, ideally, Kristen, when should I take your mama baby birthing class? I feel like the ideal point to start is around 24 to 28 weeks because at that point, your brain has started realizing I've got to get this baby out somehow. So you're starting to think about birth and it's still early enough for you to really examine options and choices and make choices and decisions and dialogue with your care provider without it being like, oh my goodness, I'm 36 weeks. This baby is coming in a month and I've got to figure all of this stuff out. So Ideally, you're going to be talking about these things with birth early enough that if you realize, you know, that your doctor or your midwife has a protocol that you don't feel is a good fit, that the two of you can talk it out. Or even if you know that, for example, your hospital has a protocol, but it's not necessarily what your doctor thinks. Like, for example, your hospital's like, you've got to be in a hospital gown and have continuous fetal monitoring for two hours after you get there. And you're like, I want to wear my own robe and walk around. You and your doctor can talk about that. And your doctor can be like, oh, I'm totally fine if you just sit on the monitor and triage for 20 minutes 
and then you be up and we'll do intermittent monitoring after that. You know, that's the kind of thing that you would want to have a conversation with your doctor about early enough. And I think I think that moms should have their birth plans done. And I, I do have a birth plan kit um, that's free to download. So you can go through that. It's got videos to help you um, walk, like walk you through all the steps of creating your birth plan. Or if you want help with your birth plan, I also I do one-on-one sessions for that as well. But... I think mom should have their birth plan done by 36 weeks at the latest. Again, so you have this time to dialogue with your care provider. Because what you're doing is you're practicing kind of flexing your voice, flexing your internal muscles that say, okay, I'm strong enough to do this. I'm strong enough to stand up for me and do this. So you want to dialogue early and often because it helps set good expectations for your provider and it helps you grow your confidence in speaking up for yourself. Don't be afraid to change providers if you find out that things are just really not compatible with you and your provider and you're really worried. Sometimes You can still have a good birth, even if you and your provider aren't on completely the same page. I work with a lot of moms who are in rural areas, and they they consult with me, like they do coaching with me throughout their pregnancy, because the only option that they have is a busy OB practice a couple towns over, and there's just not a lot of options. And so they want somebody who's going to be more one-on-one, more intentional, and help them navigate through that. And that's fine. I think ideally, though, if you can, find a care provider who really, really resonates with you, even if they may be a little bit more of a drive or if they may have a little bit more of a drive to get to you if you're having a home birth. Many home birth midwives will serve a two-hour radius. So that's something to keep in mind. And you can ask the midwife, um, you know, you can ask the midwife when she calls or when you call her, what radius do you serve? And she'll be able to tell you that. And again, make choices based on what's right for you, not anyone else, not your family members, not even necessarily your partner, though that is a conversation for a different podcast talking about working to get them on the same page as you. But make decisions that are right for you. It's your body, you're the mother, and these are decisions that are going to impact you on a really fundamental level for longer than they'll impact anybody else except maybe your kid. And certainly longer than they'll impact a care provider who may eventually change their practice style as trends and things change anyways and come up to realize, oh, that woman who I thought was so kooky 10 years ago, maybe she was on to something, you know, but this is your birth now. And it doesn't mean you need to be foolhardy. It doesn't mean you need to be dismissive of professional opinions, but it does mean ultimately you take the advice that you're given, the professional opinions that you're given, and you still make the decisions that are right for you. Make the choices that are right for you and not for anyone else. So if you do want some help walking through all of those choices and decisions, understanding what are the choices and decisions, what are complications that can happen, how can I prevent those complications, how do I even work with labor, whether I'm having my baby at home or in a hospital, Mama Baby Birthing is definitely the program for you. Check it out at mamababybirthing.com. That's M-A-M-A babybirthing.com. With that, I will talk with you next week, and I hope that you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.